Hello team and welcome to episode 392 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Connolly. With a background in human rights and documentary photography, Kevin witnessed a fair amount of pain, yet it was only after falling into a deep depression that allowed him to experience this pain for himself. After using nothing but breathwork and cold exposure to heal his depression very quickly, Kevin became impassioned to understand the how and share it with others. Since then, he founded the Mexico-based wellness company Reconnect and has led thousands of travelers and locals through breathwork and ice bath experiences on the beach. Kevin and his team encourage their clients to embrace challenge and discomfort. They believe the more we can tip the dopamine scale to the side of pain, the more we can naturally feel pleasure. In this episode, you can expect to learn what's so powerful about breathwork and cold exposure, whether it's truly possible to overcome depression and anxiety without therapy and medication, along with Kevin's experience with having a porn addiction and how he has overcome this. So without further ado, Kevin Connolly. Kevin Connolly, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am really well. Looking forward to this conversation. We're on other sides of the world at the moment. Where are you based today? And I'm keen to get an idea of the work that you do and what took you to that location. Yeah, so uh, I'm based in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Mexico is kind of a uh, very special place in in my heart. I I used to come here when I was uh, a younger man. And um, during COVID, you know, everything was locked down. I was planning on moving overseas. Um, Mexico was open. So I said, why don't I, uh, why don't I come down here for a little bit instead? And kind of the moment that I arrived, uh, in this country, I knew that I was going to be here for a while kind of just has that effect on, on people. And so, uh, so yeah, I've been here for a few, for a few years now and just absolutely love it. Yeah. It's funny enough. I have a special place in my heart for Mexico as well. And then I met my girlfriend last year, who's also Mexican too. So it's just been reinforced even more now. So we definitely share some similarities on that front as well. And obviously you decided to stay there and decided to continue the work that you're doing there. Can you run us back to the very start of COVID? You mentioned you were going to move overseas. Was that to do what you're doing now or did moving over to Mexico lead you to taking a different path? A hundred percent. So I was working in human rights at the time prior to moving to Mexico. And the work that I was doing was really starting to get to me. Back then, you know, I didn't have any tools for mental health management. And my mental health was just slowly going down. You know, it started with the insomnia, then the anxiety came, then the depression came. Um, so it was sort of just like a, a snowball slowly, slowly rolling downhill. So I moved to Mexico, um, staying in the, in the realm of human rights. And, um, but, you know, arriving here, realizing, oh, wow, I had just fallen into a very bad depression. And that sort of started a chain of events that led me into what I'm doing now, which is, which is a lot of mental health work, wellness, and all the, all the good stuff. And how did you transition out of that dark place to get to the place where you are today? What led you to start looking for tools? Because if when you are in a state like that, quite often there is some time where you just spend some time in that darkness, then you kind of make that decision of where to go, and then it's a case of trial and error. What led you down the path of cold exposure and breath work? And did you have any failed attempts of trying to get better before you did end up healing yourself? I have, you know, I've had friends and family who'd been on 
pills and medication and antidepressants for years and years and they never got better or they didn't survive. Um, so I knew I didn't want to go that route. At the same time, I was so energetically depressed. I couldn't get off my couch. You know, I, I had moved here to Playa del Carmen, beautiful place, like on the beach, amazing weather, cool people. You know, I wanted to get out and do yoga. I wanted to do something and I would just sit on my couch and cry. I was just like crippled, you know, I could not move my body. So I was just sort of online, like looking at like, what sort of holistic health things can I do? And I came across breath work and I'd meditated a lot. Like I lived in Thailand for a long time. I used to meditate with, with monks and I learned from some amazing teachers, but it never really stuck. But when I saw breath work, I was sort of like, I can do that from my couch. Like, I don't have to get up. I don't need to go to a class. I don't need to be around people. So I just jumped into a teacher training. And that week, a friend of mine, the first friend that I met in Playa del Carmen, Sarah Benz, was like, hey, do you want to go to an ice bath? And at that point, I was like, dude, I would set my fingers on fire if it meant that I would feel something or, you know, anything. So she took me to an ice bath and I would say like after that first 10 days of starting breath work, doing my first ice bath, my depression was gone. Um, and it wasn't like it was gone. It was like I, now I knew how to manage my emotions. You know, now I knew like when that feeling of depression or, or severe anxiety started to, to rise up in my body, I would stop everything that I was doing. I would breathe, you know, I would do a certain breathing exercise and then not only would it go away, but I would feel happier afterwards. So it was like this amazing discovery. And so ever since then, for the last few years, I've just been trying, reading, researching, learning, taking certifications, trying to understand how I did that. And I'm, I'm doing my best to share that with as many others as, as I can. Did you do anything alongside it in terms of therapy, in terms of working with a psychologist or anything along those lines? Because if I understand the utility of breath work and cold exposure and things that really can help with settling the nervous system and almost just getting you into a different state that you've not been in before. But at the same time, I'm also curious to know where the trauma goes, if you know what I mean. Of course, yeah. we can function well on a day-to-day -day basis, but there's that embedded trauma that usually manifests itself in the form of depression and anxiety and everything along those lines. So did you have to do any work to dive deep into your trauma to work on that? Or was breath work and cold exposure just a full-blown solution for you? You know, I think what helped for me was I was incredibly honest about my depression. Um, when I would meet people, <laughs> I would just tell them, <laughs> you know, like, um, because for me, I was like, the more I hide this, the harder it's going to be to get rid of it. So I would just talk to, because I knew other people were going through it too. So I was like, if I just talk to other people about it, like maybe other people will have something to, to offer me. And, and I did, you know, through that period, like I got some amazing advice from people. And so I just talked, talked through it a lot with friends. Like I didn't do any, you know, proper therapy. It was, yeah, it was really kind of just, the, the breathing and the cold exposure. And, you know, it was a lot of self work too. Um, I, maybe I wish I would have had someone to talk through it all at the time, 
But like I said, it, it kind of went away so quickly. Um, it gave me the opportunity to say, okay, like, what was I doing that led me to that depression? Like, what were all the habits that led me there? So I kind of just dissected all of them and I just took them one at a time. Like the first one to go was smoking, which I didn't even have to try. Like as soon as I started doing breath work, I didn't think about smoking and I haven't thought about it for years. Then it was like the drinking, you know, I was drinking myself to sleep every night. Then it was, you know, porn, getting rid of that. Um, then it was exercise, like getting back on top of that. So I kind of just slowly took one thing at a time and worked on just either getting it into my life or getting it getting it out of my life. And did you ever fall back into any of those addictions that you had, the smoking, the alcohol, the porn? Was it once you took it all away, it was that done and dusted with, or did you fall back into those traps? Addictions and, and especially something like breath work, you need to practice it all the time. Like someone described breath work to me as like parting of the seas. When you're practicing, like the seas are parted and when you stop, they just kind of all crumble back down. And I've certainly had times since then, like I'm always tempted, you know, it's, it's not something that it's just, you know, smoking is something that I don't think about anymore, but like, yeah, I still think about drinking. I still think about porn. Like I have to constantly work on that battle. And, um, but, but breathing has been one of the most powerful things. Like I said, like when I have, anytime I have anxiety come up, anytime I have something a negative thought, a negative emotion, a feeling that I know is unnecessary. I don't just sit there and let my body stew in it because now I understand that stewing is what just causes so much elevated stress, elevated anxiety, right? So I try to just breathe. And if I can do anything about it in that moment, I will. And if I can't, I'm just going to stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Let's get started with the breathwork side of things first before we tap into the cold exposure, but I assume they go hand in hand to some degree as well. I think we all know what it's like to, like what our breathing does when we get into any type of uh, cold, uh, ice bath or any type of cold exposure. But with that being said, in terms of breathwork, where did you start with that? Obviously you mentioned you hopped onto the course, the, the 10 day course or something along those lines. Where do we start with breathwork and what does a typical breathwork practice look like? I think anywhere, starting anywhere is a good idea. For some people, a, a practice like Wim Hof can be pretty intense. It can be pretty powerful. So there are certain people who jump into that and they're like, uh, no, breath work is, is not for me. I personally think that a, a coherent breathing, which is just a six second, five and a half or six second breath in and breath out, is one of the most powerful practices you can do. I created a, I do a certain breathing exercise that I'll, that I call tenacious breath. That is essentially that included with some visualization because every time you can just close your eyes, get into your body, think about what's happening in your body. Think about how your breath is affecting the different parts of your body. It's a few minutes where you're not on your phone. You're not thinking about your bills. You know, you're not thinking about your responsibilities. So I think, you know, Anywhere is a good start, but personally, um, that, that rate of breathing is, is a game changer because it, it improves heart rate variability. It slows your, your heart rate down. It decreases your blood pressure and it forces you to just, it forces your body to remember like this breathing rate makes me feel really good. So, you know, similar to the cold, 
when you practice, the more you practice slow, deep breathing, the more your body remembers like, this is how I should be doing it all the time. Because most of us just, we breathe too much, too fast, all day long, right? Um, so this, this, I think this practice is one where everyone should start. And, it, and even for five minutes, you know, a day, if you can do five minutes a day, like 30 breaths in and out for six seconds, it's huge. And is the visualization aspect added in so that people's minds don't wander? Because I think that's what a lot of people have resistance to is that anytime, and maybe I'll ask you this question on meditation in a moment, but anytime we stop and be still, most people immediate response is to run to some form of distraction. So if you tell them to slow down for five minutes per day, it's like, well, I don't want to because I worry where my mind would go. I'm sure you've heard the study about those people who have decided that they would prefer an electric shock instead of them being with their own thoughts for five minutes or so. So is that the reason behind the visualization to kind of keep the mind occupied on something productive? That's part of it. The other part is just form, like your breathing form, because you know, so many of us are breathing up from our chest, we're breathing with our shoulders, we're using all these auxiliary breathing muscles. And so a lot of that, it causes a lot of stress and tension on the wrong parts of our body. So we end up having chronic shoulder pain, neck pain, headaches. So a lot of it is getting you to think about like, okay, what am I breathing with? Which parts of my body's which parts of my body am, am I breathing with? Am I breathing with my chest or am I breathing with my diaphragm? and my ribs. And a lot of people, like they hear, they know about belly breathing, but our, our diaphragm is actually just a little bit above our, our belly buttons. Like that's where we want to breathe. And our intercostal muscles under our ribs, those are the second biggest breathing muscles that we have. So when we breathe, we actually want to be thinking about breathing horizontally. We want to think about breathing out. We don't want to be breathing up vertically, but we want to be breathing out. So it's, so it's, the visualization is to get you to keep your mind occupied, but for a good purpose, right? Because when you can breathe horizontally, you can actually take fuller breaths, which means you can bring more oxygen into your body, which means healthier cells. And you can take deeper breaths, which for people with chronic anxiety or stress, a lot of their problems can stem from hyperventilation that they're doing, right? They go to take a breath in and they don't know how to breathe. So their body's natural reaction is, I need to take another breath, and then I need to take another one, and another one, and another one. But when you can learn to breathe functionally, suddenly, instead of doing these quick breaths, you're breathing deeper, you're breathing wider, and then that's when your heart rate decreases, that's when your blood pressure decreases, and that's when your body feels more calm. Absolutely. And is the idea behind kind of the exaggerated length of, I think you said six and a half seconds each, is ultimately to create some type of contrast to the very shallow breathing that we're doing on a day to day basis. So that when we return to the baseline and we're not within a breathwork practice, automatically it slows down to something somewhere in the middle and finds some form of homeostasis. Yeah, exactly. And, and James Nestor talks about this a lot in his book, uh, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, where there's actually these parallels in religions and history dating back thousands of years where a lot of prayers, a lot of hymns, um, a lot of even poems all kind of mimic this about 5.5, six second rate. And what they've found particularly within heart rate variability, right? Which for those of you who, who don't know heart rate variability, it's just the, 
the length of time in between each heartbeat. Uh, and they used to think that the length of time in between each heartbeat was the same, but now they understand that it's different. And in order to have a healthy heart rate variability, you, you want to have a different time in between each heartbeat. Practicing something like a 5.5 second breath or a six second breath helps to create a healthier heart rate variability. So um, there's actually quite a bit of science around um, that length of time doing the breath like that and doing the, the exercise in that way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's helpful for the guys who are more thinking about the practical aspects and the return on investment from a scientific perspective as well. And with that being said, I want to distinguish the difference between meditation and breath work. I think that's a big question mark that a lot of people have. They almost think that they are almost the same. And a lot of people, when they hear, hear the word breathwork, they automatically associate with meditation and they run in the other direction. What are the differences and what are the similarities and why is breathwork something completely different to meditation? Why is meditation something completely different to breathwork? In my opinion, breathwork is the, the better tool for the Western world right now. I think meditation is just too difficult for too many folks in the Western world because, because of the society that we live in, our minds are just going, going, going. We're constantly flooded with information, with media, with, with whatever it will be. And then you try and get that person to turn their mind off or to focus on to one or focus on one thing. It's just too difficult for, for so many people. And so they, they try to calm their mind down, but they just can't do it. So the great thing about breath work is rather than being like, all right, I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes and try and, you know, just observe my thoughts or, you know, focus on one thing. Instead, you just say, okay, I'm going to do 30 breaths. I'm just going to breathe in for 30 seconds and breathe out for 30 seconds. And as I'm breathing, I'm going to think about my form. And I'm going to focus on, you know, pushing my ribs out and I'm going to focus on pushing my diaphragm out, which is meditation, right? Like you're sitting there just focusing on your breathing, just focusing on your body. So it kind of kills two birds with, with one stone. So I feel like for anyone who has wanted to get into meditation and they just can't do it, start with breath work. Like that's the place that you start because once you begin with this practice, then meditation, I believe, will be much easier. Um, because once you can start focusing on one thing, then I feel like it'll be, you know, that process of calming your mind and, and focusing a little bit clearer just becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I like that approach a lot. And I've not heard anyone say it from that perspective before. And the thing with meditation, it almost seems very esoteric, right? It seems like it's for a certain type of person. And those who probably need some form of meditation or breath work the most are the type of people to once again run in the opposite direction when they hear the word meditation because it does, I mean, it's gotten a lot more well-known and well-used, but there's also an element of it still being something that's a little bit woo-woo, whereas someone who has gone through an experience of just taking a deep breath knows the utility of that, especially when you can link it back to the science, which I know we can with meditation, but it's a little easier to do it with the breath work. And as you've mentioned, you know, once you get all the positive effects from 
breathing and being able to settle your nervous system, improve your heart rate variability and all those type of things is going to be much easier for you to, as you mentioned, be calmer, be in a more relaxed state and ultimately focus on that one thing. So I really do like that approach as well. And transitioning onto what an extensive breathwork practice looks like. If someone says, I'm really happy with the five minute practice a day, where do I go next in terms of expanding this practice, becoming, you know, more like yourself in terms of taking the full benefits from doing breath work on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I was actually, I've been designing a, a course that's, that's focused on three things. It's for, focused on form, speed, and hold. Um, and I think those three things uh, kind of encapsulate a, a full breathing practice. Form, obviously, the way that you breathe is one of the most important things, right? And it's not that difficult to, you know, fix breathing dysfunctions. Most of us have a breathing dysfunction or another. Either we're shallow breathers, we're chest breathers, we're paradoxical breathers, meaning we we breathe in the opposite way. Like when we take a breath in, we actually suck our bellies in. Or we're just terrible uh, posture, right? We have terrible, terrible posture. We're sitting at our computers like this all day, and people don't realize, like, when you sit like this, right, and you're doing this all day, you can't take in a full breath. You can't even take in half a breath like that. You know, we all suffer from those dysfunctions, or many of us do. So um, form is the most important part. Speed is, is another part. So once you get the form down, then you can focus on different techniques for controlling the speed of your breath. Because for a lot of folks, doing a six-second breath is actually pretty challenging. They've never done it before. Like three seconds is, is the maximum that they can do. So doing some techniques where you slow the breath, either um, using something like ocean breath where you constrict your throat, right? And it slows your breath down. Adding a hum. So taking a breath in and humming as you exhale and just humming for as long as you can is amazing for slowing the breath down, but it's also stimulating the vagus nerve, the longest uh, cranial nerve in your body. Stimulation of the vagus nerve means healthier vagal tone, means longer health, means better health, means uh, you're less inclined to be reactive to situations. Um, so really interesting studies around, around the vagus nerve. And then finally, holds. And I think, you know, since Wim Hof came out, people were super interested in holds, but not many people understand why holds are important. And I think there's, there's two main reasons why holds are important. Doing a, doing, and just to be clear, doing a breathing exercise where you, where you take a breath in and either you hold on the inhale or you let all the air out and hold on the exhale. And one of the, one of the great things that it does is it helps build your CO2 tolerance, so your, your tolerance to carbon dioxide. The stronger your tolerance to carbon dioxide, the less likely you are to want to hyperventilate, particularly in times of stress. It's easier for you to take a breath in, let it go, and just hold for a minute as that carbon dioxide is building up. The second one is once you can hold your breath for a little bit, so once you get past, you know, it's different for everyone, but about 50 seconds, your blood oxygen level goes below 90%. Once that starts to happen, your body starts to release a hormone called EPO. Some of you might know EPO, but uh, Lance Armstrong was actually injecting, and many, many bikers uh, were injecting EP, synthetic EPO, uh, 
to improve their performance. So, but once you, once you just practice some breath holds, EPO, this hormone is released from your kidneys just naturally. And it improves your, it increases your red blood cell count and just improves your, the efficiency of your cells. So by holding your breath, by practicing holding your breath for a little bit longer, uh, you're, you're actually just really doing a lot of good for, for your body. And, and they're fun. Like the more you do it, the better you get at it. So like for me personally, for someone who's looking to do a more advanced practice, and I'm sorry, this is, this was a long answer to your question. I always start by doing just a simple breathing practice in the morning, 10 minutes. That's it. But you can do five throughout the day. I'm constantly, every time I'm at my computer, I start thinking about like, okay, how's my posture? And how's my breathing? And I just start doing a few slow, deep breaths. And I do that constantly throughout the course of the day. It might only be a few breaths that I take in, but I'm constantly refocusing my attention to it. And then at night, you know, it's, it's different for everyone, but doing a practice where you might do a few breath holds. So, um, you know, you could, you could try something like the Wim Hof method. Uh, there are a ton of other breathing practices out there that include holds, but just something where you're taking deep breaths, um, you're doing a breath hold or two or three or four, you know, and this all takes eight to 10 minutes. It's all super, super fast. Yeah. Super practical, super fast and super effective as well. Do you find it has a knock on effect to your productivity as well? When you stop, you take those moments in the day and start to reset your breathing, you check in on your posture. Have you found that that's something that increases your productivity? Yeah. You know, I, I, I always try to be honest about this question because I feel like some people, you know, when they're promoting something that they, that they do, they're just like, oh man, my productivity is just like through the roof. Yes, I notice a difference, uh, particularly, you know, if I happen to have, if I start to feel a lull in the afternoon, I will stop and do a certain breathing exercise to wake my body up. You know, I never had access to that before. In the past, I used to just be like, oh my God, I guess I'll just have another cup of coffee uh, you know, or I'll try and walk around and get my circulation going. Um, but now I realize I can just do all that through breathing. And if I'm in a meeting or something and I can't actually get away from my computer, um, I can just practice it right there because similar to breathing exercises that slow your heart rate and calm me down, there's breathing exercises that increase your heart rate and increase your, increase your blood pressure and kind of wake you up. So, um, Yes. In terms of focus, in terms of productivity, like I've certainly seen uh, a difference in, in how I manage those things. Absolutely. Yeah. I love how you use the words through the roof as well. It's like anytime that someone quotes their productivity, it has to go through the roof. That's the benchmark you have to reach if you're selling anything or you're promoting some type of practice as well. But no, I, I completely agree. But I can imagine, you know, it's honestly just that moment where you get to reset, you get to, like you said, manipulate how your nervous system is feeling and ultimately change the blood pressure and all those different types of things, which have a large impact on our ability to focus, our ability to be productive. And ultimately they all tie into together and speaking of tying in together i now want to transition onto cold exposure which i know a little less about so i'm looking forward to diving into your world on this front as well so why is cold exposure so powerful for a few reasons i think the first one which most people don't really expect is the shift that happens in your mind once you get out that first time um because Everyone's nervous the first time and 
I would say 98% of people, and we, we've hosted thousands of people uh, at our ice bath. 98% of people, they say like, I was about to get out, you know, within the, cause that first minute is really challenging and you have to focus on your breath. There's this part of your brain that's like, no, 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 get out, get out, get out. Right. Cause your brain's just trying to keep you safe. And you just have to shut that part of your brain off and you just focus on your breathing. You're putting all of your energy into your breathing. And after about a minute, the pain starts to plateau and then it starts to go down. And once it starts to go down, that feeling is really amazing, you know, because particularly for people like myself who did that in a depression, it was a realization that like, oh, I'm in control of my body. Like, it's not my brain. It's me. You know, I make the decisions. I can tell myself that I can do this and I don't have to listen to my brain all the time. And so that has like a domino effect for a lot of other things, particularly that you might've thought were too difficult. I feel like that's one powerful thing about ice baths and people who do them regularly is they stop looking at things as too challenging or too difficult. And they say, no, I can, I can do that. That's a challenge that I can do, you know, and that's a solution that I can, that I can find. So I think that just that, like science aside, pushing yourself to do things that you previously thought were too difficult. I think that is one of the, one of the biggest, biggest benefits. The other one is just kind of retraining your, I mean, there's a ton and we can talk about these a little bit more, but retraining your stress response, right? So when you step into the cold, your body's being stressed, right? Your body's going, it's a form of hormesis, like a controlled stress on your body, just like sauna, just like exercise. So when your body's being stressed and you're breathing slow, deep breaths, your body's saying, okay, you're being stressed right now, but you're breathing slow. So I guess I will remain calm. And what that does is in the outside world, when you get frustrated, when you get angry, when you get into a heated debate and your body's being stressed by someone or something, suddenly your body remembers like, oh yeah, I'm being stressed. Don't increase your breathing, like just breathe slow, deep breath. So it's a matter of kind of retraining the way that we breathe and how our breathing is, is, is changed to handle stress. So I think for me and for a lot of people that I've seen go through this, like those are two of the, the, the biggest kind of untalked about benefits in, in cold exposure. Yeah, I can imagine. And is there any risk that we can maybe rely on these practices too much and go through challenging situations and think, okay, I just need to breathe it away or go through stressful response, stressful situations, I should say, and maybe not pull out the required response because we're used to responding in not necessarily, I don't want to use the word calm because of, it is a level of calm, but does that calm ever become too much where someone maybe becomes a little bit more passive and when they get stressful situations like, okay, I just need to do my breath work. I just need to do my a cold exposure and then don't actually end up necessarily navigating the problem that they need to go through? I mean, it's a good question. I feel that not all stress is bad. Um, I think there's some, some very healthy stress out there. And I think certain stress pushes us to work harder, pushes us to hack into our creativity. So I think, yeah, 
That, that, so that certainly could be an issue. I mean, you can always depend on something too much, right? Um, even if it's something healthy. Uh, like, yeah, people get, just like people get addicted to, to, to going to the gym, right? They, people, just like people get addicted to drugs and alcohol. Like, I, I think it's, you can overconsume anything and you can depend on something too much, 100%. I do really feel though that our best decisions are made when we're calm. So I do think this practice is very beneficial for that reason. And I think most of us, or many of us, um, we tend to make decisions when we aren't calm. So I, I think bringing it back to the other side a little bit or working on bringing it back to the other side, I think in the end is, is, is pretty beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more likely that we're going to get the benefits and you might have the few people who end up going to the other side of the extreme, but it's probably going to be less than the people who benefit from it. But it comes to my mind when, for example, a lot of people get into the world of quote unquote productivity and self development and they spend their life reading books instead of actually taking action on the things that they want to do. Right. And that kind of came to my mind when I thought about, you know, getting to that response where you're like, okay, well, I just need to breathe this away or get in the ice bath when ultimately sometimes the thing that we need to do is step out and handle those things. But I ultimately think if we use it as a tool to help put ourselves in that state where we can handle things, I think it can be super, super beneficial. And replicating the effects of that in our homes with cold showers or just filling up our bath at home with like super cold water would that have the same effect because i think a lot of people find the practicality of finding a place to do an ice bath sometimes a bit of a challenging aspect yeah absolutely um you know it just depends on how cold you can get the water it has to be challenging you know it clearly i mean it depends on what you're using it for like if you're an athlete using it for recovery you don't need to get it that cold um, but if you're someone who's actually wanting to practice this, you know, as a mental practice, I think as long as you can get the water cold and by cold, I mean, you know, between three and, and five degrees, six degrees, then absolutely use your tub. I mean, always go and, and, uh, and do it with someone, especially in the beginning. Um, I mean, we always kind of recommend to do it with people because not only because of a safety issue, but because, it's super fun to do it with, with other people, to encourage other people and to do a breathing exercise before, um, like breathing with others is, is powerful. It's, it's, it's cool, you know, um, especially men. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of men are just like, uh, but luckily, like now we have a lot of science behind this and, and it's, it, I think it's a great thing for a group of, of men to do, like to, get together to do a breathing exercise, to get into cold, into the cold, like to be vulnerable together, to not pretend like we don't have any fears, to not pretend like nothing scares us. So yeah, whether it's, whether it's at home, whether it's, uh, you know, out at a spa, like more and more of these cold heat exposure spas are popping up. We're designing our own ice bath. So yeah, there's, I think there's going to be, especially in the next couple of years, there's going to be a lot of options. Absolutely. And on that note as well, does it help to do the contrast between cold exposure, then directly going into heat exposure? I know a lot of people, maybe more like people like Joe Rogan, for example, speaking about going into an ice bath, then going straight into the sauna, going back into the ice bath. Is there utility to that? Or would you prefer to just stick with one or the other? Living here in Mexico, our sauna is just like out of the ice bath, <laughs> yeah. um, especially this time of year. You know, it's, it's crazy hot and humid down here. And, you know, yeah, I haven't really practiced the heat cold 
exposure. I personally think doing a breathing exercise and doing the cold is powerful enough. You know, I completely understand that practicing heat therapy is great for you as well. Um, but in terms of practicing those together, I, I don't really have enough, uh, knowledge on that one and did you try much heat therapy is there any differences you've seen between the two because of something that immediately comes to my mind is that most of the time you're not stepping into something that's obviously a sauna is hot but it's nowhere near the same response that you have when you step into something super super cold so have you looked at the benefits of the heat exposure compared to the cold not as much uh so down here in mexico we have something called a temescal uh, which is like a sweat lodge, a traditional sweat lodge. So it's sort of like a, either a dome or sort of like a teepee. And they bring all of these coals into the middle. It's about two and a half hours. And each, you know, 30, 40 minutes, they're bringing in more coals and more coals. And it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I thought that that was going to be similar to an ice bath. I was like, okay, the ice bath, it's a little bit painful, but, you know, it's worth it in the end. I felt physically ill. <laughs> oh, wow. I felt like I had the flu. And I was like, man, I work so hard to not feel this way. Why would I put myself through this? But then as soon as I got out, I immediately thought, I want to do that again. Now, some, doing something at that heat, I don't know the benefits of practicing that you know, as regularly as, as ice baths. I, I haven't seen any any data or research or, or talk to many people about about that. But I know it's it, it has a very similar effect, which is after you do it, I want to do it again. And I think it goes back to that moment when you think something is too hard and then you do it and you're like, hell yeah, I did it. I got through it. What's next? You know, it just kind of helps you build that level, that level of tolerance um, and helps you kind of just keep moving the bar up slowly, slowly. And the question that I'm sure is on everyone's lips is, does the cold exposure to stepping into that ice bath ever get easier? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, yeah. I mean, for for some people, it's it takes a little bit longer, but f I think for many, you know, after five or six times, it starts to get easier and easier. Um, you know, the hands and the feet are, are the hardest parts because your, your blood vessels and your wrists and your ankles shut because they want to send all the blood back to your to back to your core to keep you alive. So it's it's difficult in those areas, but you know, after a while it just gets it's, it just gets easier and easier and you know, one of the one mistakes though that people make is as soon as they start to feel comfortable, they're like, "I want to go longer." So they start going longer. And they're like, "All right, I'm going to go longer. I'm going to go 12 minutes. All right, I'm going to go 15 minutes. All right, I'm going to go 20 minutes." And eventually they get to a point where they're exposing themselves to hypothermia. And once you get hypothermia, all those benefits are gone. Um, so we always tell people, you know, we only do three and a half minutes in the cold. So we tell people like, if you're feeling comfortable in there and you want to challenge yourself, just move. Cause the moment you start to move, you break this thermal layer of heat that your body has created and the cold just hits you again. And it's just back to the beginning of stepping in for the first time. And each time that happens, the release of those chemicals, so dopamine, norepinephrine, adrenaline, start to be released again at higher amounts. So that, you know, when you start to feel comfortable, it, they start to slowly being released at lower levels. 
But the more you challenge yourself, the more you push yourself, they're just being increased and increased and increased. And then they're released in your body for longer throughout the course of the day. So there's actually kind of a technique to it, like once you start to, to really get into it. Yeah, it seems to be like a bit of a sweet spot and also one that helps you avoid hypothermia, which I think is a, a very wise move when you're doing anything like that. And you mentioned kind of the loss of benefits once you do step into that range of doing maybe 15 minutes and getting to a stage of hypothermia. In terms of the limit of benefits, is there a limit of benefits of how many times per day, how many times per week? Have you got a recommendation on that? Yeah, so the leading researcher on this is Dr. Susanna Soberg out of Denmark. Um, she's the one who everybody has been quoting. And she says 11 minutes per week, broken up into three to five minute sessions. So um, for, for us at Reconnect, you know, it's we generally say three times a week. And I can certainly verify that information from her because when I first started doing it, it, I was doing it once a week. As soon as we started doing it three times a week, my whole body transformed. I wasn't like, I wasn't fat. I was just inflamed. I just had this whole layer of inflammation all around my body. Like I was exercising regularly and I was just like, man, why aren't I seeing any, any changes? And after like two months of doing three times a week, my friend was like, hey, did you lose weight? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, look at the photos that I took of you between the last three months. And I was like, wow, like it was a huge, huge difference. So it just cut all of that, all of that inflammation away. So I think, you know, along with the mental benefits of this, like inflammation, I think is one of the, the biggest ones that I see with, with myself and with our members as well. Yeah, that's insane. And it makes a lot of sense as well because of we all are, well, not all of us, but many of us experience a lot of inflammation. So if there's something that really does impact it on such a fundamental level, it allows you to do it on a consistent basis. And there's something so far away from the norm. Did you make any adjustments to your diet during that time as well? No. Yeah, it was really no changes. Um, that was almost the only thing that I was doing. And, you know, I, I'm sure it was a combination of things because I had, I had changed my diet a little bit about six months prior. I was always exercising, you know, a few times a week. I live in a nice warm place, so I always get a lot of sun. I'm always in the water. Um, but really nothing else had, had changed. So I, I do kind of, give a lot of credit to the cold for that, for that reason. I think that's a nice thing for a lot of people to hear who maybe are doing the same with their nutrition, their training, and maybe looking for that missing link. It might be worth them trying and seeing how it goes as well. So brilliant that we've been able to tie those two together. And something I want to take a side step onto now and something I know that you are keen to discuss is the addiction side of things. And I've not openly spoken to someone with a porn addiction full stop, let alone on a podcast. So I'm curious to get your take on that. I'm really keen to just kind of demystify a lot of these taboo subjects. And I even heard something recently on someone else's podcast when they were saying like a porn addiction is very much like any other addiction and quite often it has nothing really to do with the substance or the act it has everything to do with the psychological side of things more so than what you choose as your addiction and that made a lot of sense to me as well so i'm keen to get your take on the porn addiction where did it start what did it do to you and how have you been able to overcome it yeah mine mine was kind of complicated um so i broke my neck when i was 21 and so i lost a little i had a little bit of nerve damage and so I had prob I had some, some issues 
sexually. And the doctors were really no help. Um, they were like, yeah, just, just, you know, keep trying. What I really needed was to probably talk to a sex therapist, but I, because I had a nerve damage, I had a little bit less feeling at the time. So I thought I had to stimulate myself more in order to have an orgasm. So that's sort of when the porn started. As the years went on, I just thought, well, that's what I need now because of my injury. And so it just increased and increased and increased. And yeah, it kind of got to a point where the overstimulation, like, you know, a lot of people talk about this who've, who've studied it. When you're watching porn, your dopamine levels are, are really high, right? You're releasing higher amounts of dopamine. But then when you're actually with a, a person in real life, suddenly your dopamine is not being released as, as high. So it starts to change the experiences, the intimate experiences that you have with other humans. So it started to affect my relationships. Luckily, after my depression, I was like, okay, I need to address this. How do I do it? And I actually found Tantra and Taoism. And I learned a lot about using, you know, using my breath to control it. But it a lot of it for me was just a, a misconception that I needed it because of my accident. But when I stopped it, all that feeling that I thought was gone just came back. But it was, you know, there was a moment during my depression where I just felt like I just could not think of anything else. And I don't know, you know, whether that's a, a side effect of depression, you know, just wanting to pull you away from your thoughts and towards something that just feels good because of how shitty you're feeling all the time. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty intense there for, for a moment. And like I said, it's, it's still something that I have to work on, but you know, now at least I have tools and, um, there's a lot of teachers that I've found online and in other places who have some amazing practices specifically for men, um, to help them kind of reconnect their body and kind of push all that shit aside. Because in the end it, it is just super, super unhealthy and it can really affect, um, you know, the, the quality of your relationships. Absolutely. And can you run us through some of those practices that you found most valuable for you? So the first is semen retention for the Taoists kind of have a, a chart, like depending on your age, how many times you a week or a month you should ejaculate. I think it's a super powerful thing to to work on because, you know, in every orgasm, it's 220 million sperm cells that you're releasing from your body. It's tons of energy. It's tons of nutrients. And then your body has to work extra hard to replace those. So guys that are just ejaculating, you know, every single day or every other day, I feel like that's a crazy waste of energy. So the first is to, to, to stop doing that or just try and start doing that less. The second one is rather than, you know, sitting down and, you know, touching yourself, you just start um, working on taking some slow, deep breaths and just focusing on your body and just thinking about the areas around your body and just breathing around them. Slow, deep breathing is a really incredible thing to do just by yourself or with a partner. Like we don't realize, um, especially for guys who experience premature ejaculation, that that rapid, quick breathing is what induces an orgasm. 
So breathing slower, like practicing that more often really helps you to control a lot of those, a lot of those, um, feelings. But I've also done like, uh, fasts where, you know, you do a week with no masturbation and no sexual thoughts. So every time a sexual thought pops into your head, you just try and push it out. It's a great exercise for a recognizing how much time you spend thinking about sex. Cause we all, I think, spend a crazy amount of time thinking about it. Um, and so if we could sometimes maybe take a week every once in a while and focus on other things, direct our energy towards other things, it's kind of incredible, uh, how much we can accomplish. So I think doing like a, and you can start small too, right? Like depending on where you're at, you can do a 40, a 48 hour, 72 hour fast where you just you don't touch yourself sexually. You don't think about you know, you don't have sexual fantasies and you don't have sex. So I think just kind of a few of those are, can be really helpful. And do you think those with the challenges behind, you know, too much porn, maybe too much ejaculation, etc., will experience the most benefits here? And there's other people who maybe have a healthier relationship that maybe won't find this as advantageous? Because I think there's a bit of a battle in the conversation behind the no fat people, the porn is ruining your lives people versus others who you know, if we look at it from an alcohol perspective, that the difference between an alcoholic and someone who can entertain alcohol on a irregular basis can take it for what it is and leave it. Do you think that there's an argument between the two? Or do you think that avoiding porn at all costs is probably the best idea and practice in the semen retention, etc., can only be valuable? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on... People can do, like, I, I definitely don't want to give the impression that I think porn is bad. Like, if you watch porn, you're bad, right? Uh, it's definitely not like that. Like there, there are healthy ways of doing everything. But I do think for men, specifically for men, because I think men are much more into visual porn. Women are much more into literary porn. So women, a lot of times, get their, their interest from, from writing. Men have to see it. And so I think men have a much higher inclination to form an addiction uh, to something like porn. And I think way more men are addicted to it than they actually want to admit, which is part of the reason why I try and talk about this more. And so I'm glad you, you brought it up. But with the, with the partners as well, a fast, like a week long fast is an incredible thing because, it, you know, if both you and your partner do this and you don't think about anything sexually for a week and you don't touch each other for a week after that week, the sex is going to be amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you take that long and you don't think about it and suddenly you're back together. Oh my God. Yeah, do it. It's not like I'm saying you have to do that all the time, but um, I, I've, I've had great experience with it. I know a lot of others who, who practice that regularly too, who like rave about it. So I think, you know, we all, a lot of us are, are fasting with food it's really no different, right? We, we see benefits. We don't have to do it every day. We choose when we do it, right? So I think as long as you, I'm not like a, a strict anything, I would say. Like I practice breath work every day, like no questions asked. But in terms of everything else, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's up to the individual for sure. Yeah. And I think there's some beauty to voluntary restriction, you know, voluntary abstinence in anything. Like you said, with the food side of things, so many people intermittent fast and see the value of that. So many people go on periods of times where they're alcohol free, where they're quote unquote junk food free. And then always when they come back to it, A, their relationship tends to be a little bit healthier with it, as long as they didn't demonize it in the process. I think that's a big one. And then the second aspect is it kind of heightens the sensitivity to those things as well. So as long as you've created a relatively healthy relationship with those things and you're also not lacking in that department and, you know, the excuse not to have sex for a week is just so that you don't have to spend time with your partner, then I think it could be probably a pretty valuable thing as well. Because it can always go the other side. But dude, I love that. And coming to the back end of this podcast now i've got a couple of final questions for you and the first is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do for me i think if i were to simplify it it's just to have people understand how powerful their bodies are in terms of healing themselves um i think we've been we've been fed a lot that we need external things for our bodies for our minds whether that be medicine, whether that be pills, whether that be consumer products. And I'm very lucky to live in a place where I have access to nature. Not a lot of people have that. Um, but I've found that, you know, nature and your body is, is really all that you need in the end. So I think just if, if I were to impact the world, it would just help be to help people understand that that simple fact. Amazing. And Kevin, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Yeah, so my breathing is at stasisbreath.com. Uh, the ice baths are at reconnect.mx. So if you're ever in Playa del Carmen and you want to come do a breathwork and ice bath session, uh, we're at reconnect. And, and then we're actually going to be building our own, we're designing our own uh, ice bath right now, which is called the avocado. And that's avocadoicebath.com. Awesome. I'll put all of those in the notes below. And if, um, well, if I should say when I'm back in Mexico and if I'm close to play.com and I have to hit you up for that ice bath as well. Dude, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.